This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. Well, thank you, Jodasan. Welcome, everyone, to Prairie Mountain Zen Center. And again, thank you, Jodo, for encouraging our practice and our study. And today we continue our exploration of the 16 Bodhisattva precepts, focusing in particular on the precept often expressed as be generous, not avaricious. As with many of the precepts, at first it might seem natural to be generous, but as we reflect on human life and our own lives in particular, we can find it more challenging than we expect. While we might not see ourselves or others as avaricious exactly, gradually we acknowledge we aren't always as generous in mind, heart, and behavior as we might prefer. Sometimes this precept focuses exclusively on being generous in sharing the Dharma. In this context, however, is a fuller exploration of the precept to reflect on generosity and avarice more generally. In Taking Our Places, Norman Fisher makes clear, upon reflection, we begin to notice moments when we are more parsimonious than we'd like to admit. We protect our precious time, we hoard little personal treats, we don't always share as openly as we would want ourselves to. In his novel, the Portrait of a Lady, Henry James describes heroine Isabel Archer's high expectations for her youthful self. Her life should always be in harmony with the most pleasing impression she should produce. She would be what she appeared. She would appear what she was. Sometimes she went so far as to wish that she should find herself someday in a difficult position so that she might have the pleasure of being as heroic as the occasion demanded. Altogether, with her meager knowledge, inflated ideals, confidence at once innocent and dogmatic, her temper exacting and indulgent, a mixture of curiosity and fastidiousness, of vivacity and indifference, her desire to look very well and to be, if possible, even better. The combination of the desultory, delicate, flame-like spirit, the eager, personal young girl. She would be an easy victim of scientific criticism if she were not intended to awaken on the reader's part an impulse more tender and purely expectant. Naturally, none of us are Isabel Archer. Many of us no longer qualify as young. Yet all the same, perhaps we can acknowledge the aspirations that characterize James's wonderful heroine. We want to be genuine. We want to be generous. Yet we also want things for ourselves. We want not only to be good, we want to be seen as good. 
like Isabel, we gradually discover that this becomes a false generosity designed by our unconscious for our own satisfaction. By helping or being generous, we become the person we aspire to be, but sometimes in a selfish sort of way. This aspect of the precept can make us uncomfortable. It reveals how something seemingly pure, a generous hearted impulse may be selfish underneath. This precept asks us to reflect on giving overall. As in Marcel Mauss's great book, The Gift, we begin to recognize upon closer, deeper introspection that many human impulses to give are motivated by more selfish motives than we originally believed. As a sociologist, Mouse shows us, early exchange systems in human life center around obligations to give, to receive, and most importantly, to reciprocate. They occur between groups and not only individuals. And they are a crucial part of the total phenomenon that work to build not just wealth and alliances marked by economic wants, but social solidarity, because the gift pervades all aspects of society. In other words, humans give not just out of innate desire to be good or be perceived as good, but out of social obligations that extend between individuals and groups. This understanding can alter our perceptions of generosity, but also highlight why moral precepts against avarice and selfishness pervade almost every human society. Ultimately, human survival rests on the social necessity of exchange and the moral obligations to perform it equitably. In practicing the Buddha way, this precept typically extends to sharing the Dharma. The earliest stories of Shakyamuni Buddha show his reticence to teach at all, his reticence to share. So humbled is he by the profundity and subtlety of his awakening. Not only is his enlightenment shattering in scope, but the subtleties of its methodology and the challenges of karmic conditioning make it appear an impossible task. It is said God Brahma had to ask Buddha three times before he agreed to teach. Even then, Shakyamuni harbored great doubts regarding his ability to convey a suitable methodology to other spiritual aspirants even to the five fellow monks with whom he practiced so long. Gautama's reticence could be understood as ungenerous. Even the Theravadan emphasis on individual awakening can be criticized as selfish in nature in comparison with the Mahayana emphasis on helping others to cross into nirvana. From this perspective, 
the entire Bodhisattva path can be understood as a profound generosity awakened out of Mahayana critique of early Buddhism's focus on individual enlightenment. As we have seen, however, even spiritual aspirants can be self-centered in how they manifest their efforts to help others with generosity. Perhaps because of this, generosity or dana is the first of the six paramitas or practices perfection. When we reflect deeply, we realize that the paramitas are not things we attain, but practices we aspire to as we deepen along the way. Dale Wright explores the complexities of giving in his wonderful book on the subject, The Six Perfections, Buddhism and the Cultivation of Character. In exploring this practice, Wright asks, what would it mean to give with neither ulterior motives nor naivete? What would it mean to give with neither ulterior motives nor naivete? Seeking to answer this question, perhaps we can reflect helpfully upon both our practice of Zazen and the recitation of the opening of the meal chant before our Oriyoki meals. Buddha was born in Kapilavastu, enlightened in Magadha, taught in Varanasi, entered Nirvana in Kushinagara. Now we set out Buddha's bowls. May we, with all beings, realize the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. The meal opening verses focus initially on Shakyamuni Buddha, the span of his lifetime, its widening impact on the world community. In conclusion though, these verses focus specifically on the gift of meals, the reciprocity of human survival that enables all communities to thrive and grow. In particular, this verse ritualistically implores our realization of emptiness in relation to the gift of food. In other words, this verse acts, asks practitioners to realize emptiness in their zazen mind, their practice of the Buddha way, to see anatta, non-self, or emptiness of self, the complete mutual interdependency of all beings and selves. This verse reveals the depth and breadth of the spiritual training known as the Buddha way. Practitioners engage Oriyoki not just to get fed and sustain their zazen, but to engender this more profound and thoroughgoing practice, thoroughgoing realization of emptiness and interdependence that is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. This precept, in other words, 
pushes us beyond personal reflection on generosity and avarice and engages us with transformational realization of anatta, impermanence and emptiness. While the precepts may speak to our presence in the relative world, the world of individual separate selves, they push us to realize the complete emptiness of the absolute. Then carry that transformational understanding into our practice of the Bodhisattva way. When we sit Zazen, rise at the bell, bow to the community, we rejoin the wider world, practicing our Bodhisattva vows. How best can we practice these vows to help all beings, especially in the silence of the Zendo, the remote nature of life during our global pandemic? At times, we may feel our Zen practice too passive. This doubt arises and is addressed as one of the questions posed in Dogen's Bendora. Reading this manuscript written in medieval Japan helps us recognize that doubts about the efficacy of the Zen Buddhist way manifested in earliest days and continue in our own modern practice today. Bendoa, or discerning the way, helps practitioners navigate these challenging doubts. The first place we meet and navigate our relationship with doubt can be Zazen. By grounding our practice in silence and stillness, a sustained Zazen, we provide our consciousness, the space and quietude to perceive our doubt, the way it can function as a hindrance to the way. In other words, by being generous with our Zazen practice, turning towards rather than away from it, we provide the foundation for insight and equanimity we need as we rise from the cushion and enter the world. In this respect, manifesting generosity towards practice manifests generosity to the wider community of all beings. By contrast, when we devote little time and effort to Zazen, we can be parsimonious in practice, not allowing its silence and stillness to deepen our equanimity, our patience, our compassion and wisdom. Waking up to what you do is Diane Rossetto's book on the precepts. And while she helpfully phrases each as a practice we can apply, she still compels us to witness the ways we break with the spirit and intention of a precept the precept at hand. In this, she underscores the central role Zazen plays in not only grounding us in deeper, more sustainable equanimity, but also in enabling us 
to, to bear sustained contemplation of our own habits in body, speech, and mind. Zazen is the practice of what Ayakema calls being nobody, going nowhere. In this intensive, concentrated stillness, we can at last drop our schemes of self-fulfillment and clearly see how projects and unconscious desires of self can unfold. One great encouragement in Rosetto's approach is how non-judgmental it is, how she avoids being moralistic, either in her book or in her admonishments towards her readers and their own practice. This is vitally important when we practice the insight necessary in our precepts practice. The purpose of the precepts is not self-blame or recrimination. Rather, it is honest reflection and opening the hand of thought. By adopting Uchiyama Roshi's generosity, opening the hand of thought, by returning our practice again and again to emptiness, we manifest Katagiri Roshi's profound understanding. All you have to do is take care of Zazen in eternal possibility. In this way, the practice of Zazen is the realization of Dogen Zenji's practice enlightenment. Often our doubt assails us and we question the worthiness of our practice its efficacy in the face of a distracted, self-centered world. Yet in returning to silence, as Katagiri calls it, this is the fundamentally a generous practice of what Suzuki called beginner's mind. By giving ourselves generously to practice, we give generously through our bodhisattva vows to help liberate all beings in 10 directions. Although we may worry our practice of Zen is too passive and too subtle to change this troubled world, this precept helps us consider the wide and far-reaching ways that generosity can manifest. For example, Zazen practice helps us see how quiet, subtle instruction can help a newcomer enter into the way of Zen. Rather than making a big show, the greeter at the door can somehow show someone how to gusho, how to enter the Zendo, how to greet the cushion, how to bow to the community. Instead of invasively asking the person, share your email, the person who welcomes may simply sit them next to a seasoned practitioner with instructions to follow along. While many in Western society may yearn for verbal instructions, these quiet low key invitations may allow the new person the spaciousness to explore the practice for themselves. 
people come to spiritual practice out of great need, out of the wounds of this mortal life. Frequently, this can elicit a desire for community and communion. Yet it can also leave a person deeply vulnerable, easily overwhelmed. Respecting the personal space of the new person can grant them the freedom to find their own practice as it unfolds. This act of generosity can leave room for important questions, the ones that practice itself explores and gradually through time, through sustained effort, resolves and transforms. Being generous through a practice of restraint, the greeter allows this new practitioner to find their own place in the Zen Buddhist community we call Sangha. In conclusion to his reflection on the eighth precept, here is Norman Fisher, how he reflects on the practice of letting go and allowing a wider generosity to unfold. The more we focus on our possessions as the substance and measure of what we are, the more vulnerable we are. When we expand our sense of self to include others, as well as the sky, the wind, and the darkness of the night. Our possessions do not loom so large in our lives that they actually possess us. We don't have to live in a state of deprivation or renunciation in order to practice non-possessiveness. It is possible to practice non-possessiveness even in the midst of great wealth. The practice of non-possessiveness has less to do with what we have or don't have than it does with how we understand and live with what we have. Most of us have a great deal of conditioning about possessiveness. To practice this precept of non-possessiveness is to work with our conditioning and make the effort to expand our understanding let go of our habitual concepts and feelings to loosen the stranglehold they have had on us. Opening the hand of thought can manifest even as we welcome a new person to our temple. We can let go impulses <clears throat> to be overzealous with our warmth by granting space and freedom to a new person to explore their own way. We can practice with a spirit of true inquiry and curiosity about what the self is intending. By encouraging generosity with ourselves and all beings, we allow practice to deepen in ourselves and others. Manifesting Zazen mind in this moment-by-moment moment exchange, we enable generosity to permeate the spacious, wide-open entryway to the boundless, selfless practice of Zen. Thank you. 
You've been listening to a Dharma Talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.